Hello there, Vitamizers. Welcome back to the How Do You Health podcast. My name is Allison here with MSW Nutrition in Austin, Texas. Your co-hosts for this show are Baldo at Tex-Mex Yogi on Instagram and Nurse Doza, Jonathan Mendoza. His handle is Nurse Doza on Instagram. (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, I actually helped Nurse Doza co-host this episode. It was a very interesting conversation. I love being involved with it. Uh, Baldo was out climbing mountains and almost dying in Colorado, but don't worry, he's fine. He's a survivor. (laughs) But this is an incredible episode. Our guest is very knowledgeable about some stuff that we haven't really talked about on the show before. So excited to introduce her, but before that happens, this podcast is brought to you by MSW Nutrition. MSW Nutrition is a supplement line designed to help support your body in as many ways as possible, starting with the liver. By helping to repair liver health, you're supporting your body's biggest detox organ so that it can do its job taking care of the rest of you. We carry supplements to help with mood, stress, energy, weight loss, gut health, immunity, and much more. Any product carrying the MSW Nutrition label will be produced in an FDA-certified lab and contain the most bioavailable version of those nutrients possible. Make sure to check out our website at www.mswnutrition.com to see all the latest stacks to help you reach your health goals. This podcast is also brought to you by Athletic Outcomes. Athletic Outcomes is Austin's boutique wellness studio focusing on functional fitness and sports recovery. Located in Southeast Austin, AO provides services such as personal training, group classes, pre- and postnatal training, nutrition coaching, massage therapy, chiropractic, recovery compression boots, and MSW lounge vitamin shots. It's your one-stop shop for health and fitness. Check them out on social media at Athletic Outcomes to stay up to date with their events and programs. This podcast is produced by Flabs to Fitness, Inc. Flabs to Fitness is an online wellness company that specializes in mindful eating, personalized workout programs, and offers a subscription workout program for 20-minute workouts you can do anywhere. We also have a brand new online workout community called Online Workout Badasses, where we have three donation-based Zoom workout classes a week and an amazing community of people who are all working to be healthier together. Please join below in the show notes. It's also a social media content firm for creation and scheduling of content and engagement with your fans on a variety of platforms, including this podcast. Find out more about Flabs to Fitness at www.flabstofitness.com. Our guest today is Rabia Magani, and she is an Ayurvedic practitioner and yoga therapist. So her formal education is in public health and epidemiology. But she's merged her knowledge of disease and the ancient science of Ayurveda. So she basically aims to modernize Ayurvedic teachings and make them accessible to the masses. Rabia's passion lives in harmonizing Western medicine with Eastern healing methodologies. Uh, You can find her at Rabia Magani on Instagram and her website is RabiaMagani.com. Those will be in the description below. And as you probably guessed, we talked a lot about Ayurveda and it goes a lot deeper than just your food, which is not something I was aware of. So really cool conversation. Very intelligent guest. Loved talking with her. And this is Rabia Magani on the How Do You Health podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the How Do You Help podcast. You might notice that this is Allison's voice and not Baldo's doing the intro. (laughs) Baldo is climbing in Colorado this weekend, so uh, we miss him, but I'm going to be filling in for him. Um, We're super excited to have Rabia on as our guest today. She's an Ayurvedic practitioner, and she used to work at the VA, so 
very excited to learn her story about that. And as always, we have your co-host, Jonathan Mendoza, also known as Nurse Doza on Instagram. And you heard my voice in the little intro before this, but I'm Allison with Flabs to Fitness. So let's get started. That's cool. I think that's the first intro that my full name was actually given, right? I, I don't think Father <laughs> actually gives that. So, um, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that we got to talk today because we get to talk about Ayurvedic medicine and we really haven't had a podcast about Ayurvedic medicine. And it's great because the more and more that I kind of delve into, you know, nutrition, I still incorporate things that you find that are been passed along in medicine throughout ages. And whether it's a cultural difference or not, it's, they're very similar. So can you explain what Ayurvedic medicine actually is for everyone? Yeah, so um, just to kind of break down the word uh, Ayurveda, so Ayur is a Sanskrit word that means uh, life and Veda means the science of. So it's really just the science of how to live and that kind of demystifies it a little bit right there because um, I truly feel like when we don't really understand the way things work, they can become a little woo-woo and hard for us to understand. But I think Ayurveda itself is so simple because it's just attuning yourself to the way your body needs to with your surrounding environment. And it's as simple as that. The beautiful thing about it is that it's very specialized per person and there's no one size fits all philosophy that goes around with Ayurveda. It's very much that I have a unique body with a unique composition. I'm going to eat according to my body. I'm going to live according to my body. I'm going to sleep according to my body. And when you find that tune in your balance within yourself is kind of what creates the grounds for healing to come back to you. And it's, it is very similar to, it's been passed culturally and it's been a part of my culture for, for years. It's 4,000 years old. So by the time it got to me, it was just something that I kept hearing in my household. Like, okay, if you have a pinch of this with your water, or if you sleep at this time, or if you wake up at this time and you meditate. Um, but because we live in such a data-driven world, it's so hard to make these tactics or these little tips and tricks accessible for ourselves because we're lacking the science behind it, right? We're lacking the data behind it. We're lacking the numbers behind it. So when I found myself getting back into this ancient art of Eastern healing, I realized that the way to bring it to the masses is exactly to demystify it, to make it accessible, to make it something that is easy to tune into, that's not hard to understand if you don't have a Sanskrit yogi with you, that's something you can understand if you learn to just tune in with your own body, um, which I think is why it's so powerful is because it's so easy. And I like to say this, even though I am a practitioner, that really, if you, if you learn how your body works and how your body works with your environment, you, don't, you really don't even need me, right? Because you're the master of your own body. And that's the most empowering part. I can serve as a guide, but it's so important to know that no one pill or no one physician is really needed for your track in, in life. And that you, while, while you can figure out what you need for yourself, is really the magic in and of itself. That's, that's cool. I like how you talked about the body itself is the greatest healer possible. Mm -hmm. And when I first started in practice, I, I had a kind of an ego where I was like, well, I'm the one that's going to fix everything for the person, right? They're going to come to me. I have more knowledge, you know, I'm fresh out of school. I kind of know what's out there, but I was wrong, you know, right? It's not, it's basically you remove the interference and allow the body to heal on its own. Mm -hmm. And in chiropractic, we, we learned, because I'm a chiropractor, nurse practitioner, so in chiropractic school, we learned about innate intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, if innate intelligence is referred to in Ayurvedic medicine, but it's, it's similar, right? It's the same mm -hmm. concept, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, it's very similar. We don't necessarily call it any intelligence, but this it's the ability um, in your own body. And it's actually, there's a, a Sanskrit term that's called Brahmya Aparadhara. And that means that the greatest sin to your body is ignoring your body's wisdom. So the fact that you're not listening to yourself or attuning to yourself is considered almost as heavy as a sin because not aligning with yourself is what causes that ground for disease. Nothing outside of you truly, right? Like our breeding ground and our mentality around how we feel about our situation is what's either going to bring us health or what's going to bring us disease. So very similar concept. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I know you mentioned like you came from a background of working at the VA. So like, mm -hmm. let's get that little history before we dive deeper into Ayurveda because that's a huge transition. Yeah. Um, so just to give a little background that um, my mass, my bachelor's degree is in uh, global public health epidemiology. So for me, learning health and identifying where we can manage health and disease has kind of been a very big part of my life growing up and seeing a lot of it happening around the world. I was always very fascinated with how the WHO and the CDC functioned in times of crisis and how people would go out on the front lines and isolate. And I was always so fascinated by that. That was kind of my career trajectory at that point. And so I'm going through my bachelor's, I have a thesis and I understand that you isolate disease and you make it so that it's manageable and some part of it is just not resonating with me because we're never addressing the fact of why disease is there in the first place. It's kind of just very all symptomatic. It's not anything that's addressing the root. Um, and so fast forward, keep going, um, get a research position at the VA in Austin and then in Houston. And then I got into a master's program for public health at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Um, so, you know, according to our bootstrapped Western lifestyle, I'm like hitting all the milestones, getting into grad school at the right time. I am getting the right jobs at the right time. But just like I said, the pragmia paradara, there was no, I wasn't listening to my inner intelligence while I felt that this seems like the right trajectory to go. There's something very key missing because we're still not addressing, even at a graduate level, the importance of what it means to address the root and not the symptoms. Why is it that we are continually learning how to control, to manipulate, to um, isolate, right? To put into boxes of how we can manage things, but there's no addressing of why these things are coming into play. Um, and the biggest thing for me was there was no addressing of mental health that has to play with how our physical health is showing up for ourselves, emotions that are manifesting as physical pain, um, trauma that is manifesting as chronic illnesses. None of this was ever addressed. So um, very shocking to my uh, first generation immigrant family. I <laughs> quit grad school and, and even though it was something that was very difficult to understand because you're you're in a space where you go away from what you think is very secure to a very vulnerable open space of, I don't know what's next, but I'm following my inner wisdom. So I go on to get a um, two-year program certificate in Ayurveda where I learned how to become a practitioner, work with herbs, work with the body, um, learn how to not just tune my body into the environment around me, but also to help other people kind of find their way back. Um, and that's kind of when yoga was coming up for me um, because yoga and Ayurveda are um, sister sciences. So there's no really one without the other, which is kind of what's not popular in the Western world right now. But Ayurveda and yoga actually don't exist without one another because movement as medicine is a core fundamental 
uh, part of Ayurveda. So then I go on to becoming a yoga teacher, but then that's not enough because that too needs more special to be specialized. So then I go into yoga therapy, which was a thousand hour program in which I learned how chronic illnesses, acupressure points in the body, what trauma has to do with the body, where it lodges itself into the body, and then merging them together, understanding that when you learn how to eat for your body, when you learn how to sleep at the right times for your body, when you learn how to accommodate a lifestyle, that is when your body is prepared to move. When you are then able to move is when you're able to move the trauma out that heals with, that helps with the disease healing. And then when you move the trauma out, your body is in a space to meditate. And that's really the end goal of Ayurveda and yoga is that we're, we're getting you into a space that you're able to sit for longer periods of time so that you can disassociate with your identification with this world because ultimately our identification with what happens to us, our suffering is what brings us more pain and makes us more distraught. So all these little pieces connecting for me uh, here and there and um, when it all just came together and all started making sense and I started talking more about it and then I see it not just working for myself or other people, it's been the greatest validation because it's so great to see that if you help someone just understand the schedule of their body, what their body needs, what types of symptoms are meaning for them, and not just, okay, this is a symptom, this is what you need to take for that symptom, but what does it mean to question everything that's moving in your body, to question every thought, to understand that the rate of my breath is mirroring the rate of my thought, that the quality of my breath is mirroring the quality of my thought. To be able to go down to such a macro, micro level um, with every person and seeing how fascinatingly well it works, I was, I whatever doubt I had in terms of changing my career and, and moving out of that and coming into this completely holistic Eastern-based science, it just it feels right. And I think that I want to continue on in this movement. And like I said, it's I'm I'm moving more in this space that I'm not even trying to promote that I can do that for people, but really just help them empower themselves. Because if you, if you know how to live for yourself and work for yourself, you really don't need anyone to tell you otherwise. And it's so important, I think, especially with our current climate of where we have so much, um, we, we depend so much on external validation, especially in health, I've noticed, is that when we have a practitioner or uh, even if it comes down to a yogi or a guru or anyone, whether it's Eastern or Western, telling us that we're okay is when we believe that we're okay. But if you teach someone to know when they're okay, I think that's the greatest gift that you can give to anyone, truly. Hmm. I, I like that because you, I was just mentioning to someone today that people don't know how good it feels to feel good until they feel good. Mm -hmm. And it's a weird way to think about the current situation because I asked a couple other people today, I said, did you get healthier during this whole you know, pandemic? Did you get, did you focus more on your health? Mm -hmm. Because you know, once all this, whatever happens, right? That you're gonna be okay because you took care of yourself. Like, you know, is that an emphasis right now? most people who come to see us say yes now the people who are new to us are the ones who are trying to figure that out right they're having trouble with energy they're having trouble with mood and it's it's interesting because you're always going to have a job if you know how to help people feel better right, right. i mean that's just that's a very plain and simple thing if you know how to help people lose weight you're always going to have a job if you're able to teach someone how to eat you're always gonna have a job. You're even gonna have a job if you wanna cook that food for them as a right. chef, right? 
And it's not that people are lazy. It's just that we want to know, we want, we want the best for ourselves, but we don't necessarily know how to do it all the time because it's a lot of hard work to pay attention to every little thing that goes in our body. So like, I know you have this conversation, but most people who never get a chance to come see us, this is what a, a typical visit would look like. So what I was taught from day one as a practitioner was that a diagnosis comes from your history or your intake. So if you ask the right question to your patient, you can get the right answer, which means you come up with the right diagnosis. And most people who come in here, I mean, from a marketing standpoint, they ask for three things. They want to feel better, they want better energy, and they want to lose weight. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask a simple question. Well, why can't you lose weight? Why are you tired all the time? You know, I just ask the same question back. Then they're like, well, I've tried this diet. I've eaten this. I've been doing this and blah, 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 blah. All right, cool. Well, what about your digestive tract? What about it? Well, do you, do you have digestive problems? No. Okay. You know, this, then I'm kind of like, I'm intrigued. Well, you can't lose weight, but you don't have digestive problems. Like, no, I go to the bathroom. Cool. How often do you go? I go maybe three times a, a week, you know, <laughs> and we know which one we're referring to, right? Because it's not yeah. like, they're, you know, we know which one. So I'm like, okay. And this is an exact conversation I've had with a client. So you go only a couple of times a week. Do you think that's normal? This person replies, well, that's normal for me. Right. Right. And you say, well, that's not normal for anyone. That shouldn't be the case. They go through their daily routine, their weekly routine, thinking this is just how I function because this is how she replied. And I say, well, what if you didn't have to function like that? Like, what if you got healthier by us checking to see how often you go to the bathroom and if it's good and it's consistent and, you know, like you feel better after the meals you eat and that translates to better energy, better mood you're not as bloated and guess what your stomach starts getting flatter right and it's it's all diet right it all starts with mm -hmm. gut it starts with diet listening to your body mm -hmm. and what you're doing to it what you're putting into it how does your body respond mm -hmm. right yeah. I, I imagine that's what ayurvedic medicine teaches a person is how do you feel after you eat that food yeah absolutely and in in so much more detail too really because we ask more questions about in what environment are you eating your food? Are you standing while you're eating your food? I mean, even reminding people that while you're standing, your body's having to do two tasks. It's going to have to either digest or it's going to have to keep your balance. So you have to prioritize which one at that point, which is why we recommend sitting while you eat. Are you drinking something while you're eating? Are you talking to someone? Are you watching something? Literally all types of consumption that could be happening while you're also digesting, di digesting your food is what you're watching, what you're hearing, and what you're saying, right? All these things come into question because your environment has a such a large role to play, whether or not that food was frozen before you ate it, whether or not it was freshly made. So these are things that we don't really think about when we're eating down for like a quick lunch or I have a lunch on the go or I have to eat in my car. And people don't understand that this is all these little things have so much to do with how your body's responding. Because if we're eating in a rush or we have 10 minutes for a lunch break or we're eating in our car, our fight or flight is triggered, right? Our adrenals are firing. So at the same time, your body is trying to go so fast that you're going to come in and say something like, well, 
I, you know, I go three, four times a day and that's normal for me. Well, that's because your body is just shooting it out because you're firing so much cortisol throughout your day because you're moving so fast, right? So it's very similar that we ask so many questions, but it's so in depth, like so incredibly, maybe even annoyingly in depth because you have to ask every little detail about what you're doing. Cause it makes, once you, once you ask these questions back to them, like you said, it makes them so much more aware of why they're doing these things before it's just very unconscious or very just normal to their behavior. But when you realize that all these little micro adjustments that you could make would, could ultimately turn your digestive system in even like a week to two weeks time, way better than it was before that's empowering because really they don't really need you for that either but it helps them see how much more conscious they need to do about not just what they're eating but how they're eating it what environment they're eating it who they're eating it with sometimes you have certain company that's not really helping your body so all that comes into play with digestion not just your food but just your your whole mentality around it that's so yeah. interesting. And I'm curious too. So like, since we're on the topic of food, mm -hmm. like I had a very baseline understanding of Ayurveda before mm -hmm. this conversation, I didn't realize it encapsulated, like I knew it was lifestyle related, but I didn't know it encapsulated all of those things. Um, and mm -hmm. I didn't know that it like that yoga was part of it. For example, I knew movement probably was, but I didn't know specifically yoga was. Mm -hmm. Um, but since we're on the topic of food, I'm curious, like, can you talk about like the different body types a little bit and like, mm -hmm how food plays a role in those because they're kind of personality and physicality related, correct? Yes. So there are uh, three main mind-body types. Um, they're called doshas in Ayurveda, which is kind of becoming more, um, it's becoming more westernized because now we have dosha quizzes, which is interesting because I'm really curious to see how one quiz is able to figure out your body type. I haven't figured that out yet, so I'm not going to recommend any. But um, so vata is uh, composed of air and ether. Uh, pitta, the second dosha, is composed of fire and water. And earth, um, kapha, is earth and water. So those three make up five elements. And if you, if you really see it, there's, everyone has those elements in them. But each person has one that's more prominent, or in some cases, two that's more prominent. So while I have Vata Pitta Kapha in my entire body, just like we all do, I could have more prominence of Kapha in my body. And the way we identify Kapha is because if Kapha is earth quality, then um, I can tend to become more bloated at certain times. I can tend to feel lethargic. So the qualities of earth would be the qualities of my body. And it's not just what manifests in my body, but also what manifests in my thought. So for instance, if I am pre-diabetic, that is a kapha disease. If my thoughts are slow, if I'm lethargic, if I have swelling in the mornings, if I'm retaining water, those are all earth qualities because they're dense. Um, they're heavy, they're gross. So that represents that I have an overflow of kapha in my body. And the way that Ayurveda works is that if you have one dosha that's out of balance and you can tell kind of by the way that you're feeling and the way that you're thinking and the types of symptoms that are presenting themselves, you use a protocol that is the opposite of the dosha that you're experiencing. So if the qualities of my dosha kapha or earth, if they're heavy, dense, gross, if I then ask questions about what I'm eating, so I could be eating things like a lot of um, white breads, white potatoes, white sugar. I could be eating a lot of things like ice cream, cold, hard, heavy foods, which depict the same qualities that earth depicts. So now in this situation, I need to be eating things that are lighter in quality. I need to be eating things that are warmer in quality. So things like soups, 
things like warming herbs and spices, um, turmeric, cumin. So these things kind of counteract the dosha, the heaviness in my body, and then the goal is to ultimately uplift it. So I know, I don't know if you're familiar with that saying, uh, an apple a day keeps a doctor away. Mm-hmm. You heard yeah. of that? Oh, yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. So I always like to use this analogy because it really depends on who's eating this apple here because the qualities of an apple can be light, crunchy, um, can have some liquid to it. But if you're a vata person now, a vata person can have an excess of air and ether, which also means an excess of anxiety and panic. Um, it can also mean gastrointestinal issues, things like Crohn's, because there's a lot of air in the body. Um, and sometimes a lot of this manifests by eating a lot of raw food. So now if you're giving that same advice to a vata person that an apple a day keeps a doctor away, you're probably going to be visiting your doctor more than you need to, right? So this is why it's important to understand that this one idea, whether whatever diet we have out there, if it's keto, paleo, um, any other mainstream diet, I can't even keep up nowadays. But the, the reason why some people see it and it works for them and they believe it is because everyone's body type is so incredibly different and we can't make one recommendation per person. We can't say one fruit is good for anyone. There's a lot of superfoods that are um, being sold right now. That's kind of as this, because this food is good, this food is good for everyone. And that mentality doesn't always work. Right. Um, And same thing with Ayurveda. So a a lot of um, Ayurvedic herbs are being more mainstream now. I'm sure if you've heard of uh, Ashwagandha, which is like kind of helping for stress, but it only helps for specific doshas and specific balances. Now, if you have an excess of heat in your body, if you have a pitta fire condition, you have hyperacidity, ashwagandha is not for you because it's a warming to the body. Now you're adding fire on top of fire. You're going to create more acidity for yourself. Does that make sense? So yeah, you really. kind of douse the fire with, with qualities of foods that are the opposite of what you're consuming and the opposite of the symptoms that are presenting themselves in your body. That's cool. I, uh, I gave this book to Baldo I think a couple weeks ago, and it was on applied kinesiology. Have you mm-hmm. ever heard of applied kinesiology? Yes, yeah. Yeah. So applied kinesiology, for the people who haven't, it, it's um, uh, an incorporation of what you talked about with the fire, the water, the air, and it also incorporates like Chinese meridians, mm-hmm. and it also incorporates chiropractic uh, adjustments. Mm-hmm. So there's like a neurology, neurology uh, connection. There's a lymphatic connection as well as a circulation uh, uh, effect to it as well. And it's interesting because when I was taught applied kinesiology, we focus more on the chiropractic aspect, right? And there's a wheel I'm, I'm visualizing in my head right now that was given to us. And in this wheel, it talks about their circadian rhythm and the Chinese meridian uh, clock basically lining up together. And so we measure our sleep here. I mean, like I'm sure Allison measures it. I'm sure you probably do as well. <laughs> yeah. um, and I also measure what time I wake up consistently, right? Which let's say it's 3 a.m., all right? So I remember when I was looking at this chart, I was like, oh, it's liver or lungs, right? It kind of falls on either or. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because right under that same section, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this. Is it fire? Is it, what is it, wood? What, which, which one is it? Because there's a section of it pieces it together where if 3 a.m. matches up with your lungs or liver, it matches up with either fire or water, and then it also matches up with an organ that's connected to a meridian, that's connected to a, a, a part in the spine that mm-hmm. needs adjustments all the time. And so I never knew what the fire and the wood and all that meant because we weren't taught that. Yeah. But it was there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't taught. 3 a.m. means liver, lungs, 
that's a Chinese medicine thing, right? I was just taught like, oh, well, the nerve that goes to the lungs might be the issue. Let's go adjust that. I think it's like T4. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I didn't, I remember you saying this when I first started working with you guys a couple years ago, how like the meridians related to the chakras, which related to the fascia lines, like it related to like all of these different things and like the elements. This is the first time I'm hearing about the elements, but I definitely just started using the sleep cycle app like a month ago and I consistently wake up at 4 a.m. So I'd be curious to see what that is. Yeah. (laughs) But that's really cool. Well, Allison, if you remember this, remember we used to do medical yoga? Yeah. Okay, so you'll, you'll get a kick out of this, uh, Rabia. The idea is that you're going to look at the meridians and the chakras, and they overlap. Mm-hmm. So when Baldo went through his yoga training, he asked me about hormones. And he was asking about spinal segments and all this stuff with medicine. And I was like, what are you learning? And he's like, I'm learning yoga. And I was like, yeah, but like, why are you learning spinal segments? And why are you learning the nervous system? And he goes, well, it's because there's part of yoga that teaches things like a pitta and all that stuff. And I was like, so tell me more. So he started telling me more. He's like, well, we were taught this pose that if you bend a certain way, it allows better energy to go into your thyroid. So if somebody had a thyroid issue, you would look at it from the Ayurvedic standpoint, I guess maybe they have too much fire. I don't know, something Mm -hmm. like that, or they have some kind of element in their body that's either deficient or too much of. Right. So the yoga pose would activate more energy to go into the thyroid so the thyroid worked better. Yep. So I was like, well, the thyroid, you know, I forget what I said, but maybe it's uh, also connected to this gallbladder point Mm -hmm. in the Chinese meridian cycle. And you can tap it with acupressure point and mm-hmm. activate the chi to go to your thyroid as well. As a chiropractor, I would adjust like C6, mm-hmm. you know, that, 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 that level. And he goes, yeah, where you bend in the neck for the yoga pose is right at C6 at the base of the neck. And I was like, huh, that's really cool. So then we started talking more. So we came up with yoga poses to activate pathways that go into things like your adrenals. Yep. or your thyroid. So we developed a whole yoga flow that ended with even like breath work to activate certain chakras that needed to have, you know, activation. Yeah, that, that's yoga therapy, basically. What you're doing is yoga therapy. And it's really, it's really cool that you're understanding the connection between all these things, because what yoga therapy is about and, and what I do is very specifically Ayurvedic yoga therapy. Um, which really should be all forms of yoga, but because we have it so classified here, it's kind of important to add that label so that you know what the experience you're going to be getting out of it. But there's use of marmas, which is marma is an acupressure point in TCM in Ayurveda, it's called a marmani or a marma point. And we have 108 of them around our body. Um, And they're connected to nadis or channels, and we have 72,000 of them in our body. So knowing exactly where they hit and the point to move, like in certain poses, especially when I have a small class or if I'm doing a one-on-one yoga therapy client, you can, you can start to assess what's going on with them by their posture, by the quality of their speech, about how fast they're talking about the mentality around yoga. Um, you, can, you can start to sense the, the swelling. You can get a, a quick look at their tongue. Like, and this obviously comes with uh, years of understanding and seeing people that you can pick it up quickly. Um, but you start to see what the person needs or what the client needs from you in that session. And you're able to adjust your class accordingly. So if I see someone that has presenting gout 
gout symptoms or we see something like that, this is where we would incorporate the same types of yoga moves. And we would have them move in certain ways that pull on the certain marmani or the marma points that helps the lymphatic drainage. So if I see someone with increased swelling, that's something I would do for them. And this is why it's so different from just normal yoga and what you're, what you're describing is basically what I do because a yoga class, um, and this is despite anyone coming from any background, uh, any injuries, any type of um, prenatal, postnatal care, um, any type of chronic illnesses, we are teaching one class to, to everybody, right? And sometimes that can be it's a sin against our own wisdom because there, we cannot teach one class to a group full of people. We don't understand if we're teaching continuous forward folds, one person it can be great for if they have kapha and they're not being able to move their lymph for them to move forward is helping in opening up that lymphatic system. However, if I'm teaching that to a pitta that has high blood pressure, it's gonna have a completely adverse effect for them. So what yoga therapy does is we incorporate marma, which is the, the points, Ayurvedic yoga asana, which is picking the yoga pose according to the issue that the person is presenting. So it's not just a set of flows that we keep teaching to people. We move in a way that helps alleviate the problem. And we also use mudra. So mudra is hand gestures, and sometimes we see them in yoga. So this one, Anjali Mudra, hands at the heart, is a very popular one. Sometimes if you've done breath work during class, we do this mudra with our, with our nose. And what it does is that each one of these fingers symbolize each one of the elements, so that if you notice, if I'm teaching this breath work, for Nadi Shodhini, which is alternate nostril breathing, which is supposed to help bring vata and anxiety down. So I'm putting down um, my, my air and my fire fingers. So these are very active right now. So I put up my, my ether and my earth fingers. And so it's so she's putting down her index and her middle finger. Yeah. yeah. So I'm putting them down, which means that I'm asking for grounding. And when these two touch this, this is the Hridha Marma, and this indicates to your heart that it's time to slow down, which then activates your parasympathetic nervous system. So there's a whole science behind how this works, right? Yeah, I, it's funny because you, you, you've heard of reflexology, yes. right? Yeah. So it's very similar. I remember there was this nurse that did acupuncture and she would go to this community, we'd go to this community center, we'd give like, you know, communal adjustments and she would give like acupuncture out for people. And um, she was like, have you ever had it in your ear? Uh, acupuncture. I was like, no, I haven't. Actually, that's really cool. And she's like, well, let me let me do this here for you because there's a lot of points just on the ear that mm -hmm. you can connect to all kinds of organs in your body, to all kinds of pathways. And she goes, I even use it for people with addiction. Mm -hmm. I was just like blown away. I was like, are you serious? Oh yeah. And it made sense because if you think about reflexology, it's the same thing with like the foot of their hand. There's mm -hmm. certain points on there, like pathways, right? Like you, and yeah. it's been passed through ages, like tarot readings. Yeah. palm readers right like yeah. it's the same thing yeah. and so like in in my background um i have this nickname i call myself it's called a culandero mm -hmm. and a culandero is like a, a, a like a mexican witchcraft doctor right yeah. but all it is is <laughs> the medicine man that's yeah. all it is yeah. right and so if you went to mexico you would go and basically take plants yeah. and use that for medicine yeah. herbs you know, spices, whatever. And it's funny because they're very similar to what you probably use, you know, mm -hmm. and you have used, right? Mm -hmm. uh, aloe vera, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, like ginger. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty cool. And so when I've studied medicine, I learned that all medicines come from plants. Mm -hmm. And so the more I got into practice, the more I was using things like turmeric, 
for pain, yeah. turmeric for inflammation. Mm -hmm. And then the more I studied turmeric, I studied its active ingredients. I started studying like the nutrients. Right. And it's really like, that's what our bodies need. So I'm, I'm guessing, I, like I said, with Allison, I'm the same way. Ayurvedic medicine seems like it makes sense because I've heard the same story before, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, everything that the body needs was already put on this earth. Yes. Right? Yes, 100%. So, so everything that comes from our environment makes up our genes, mm -hmm. our DNA. It alters our DNA. It, it alters the way we function, but it's also the solution. Mm -hmm. So if you can take a plant like Boswellia, mm -hmm. right, and take that and get frankincense from it, now you have frankincense oil that could pretty much almost help with anything in the yeah. body, right? Seems like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you use frankincense a lot? I do use frankincense personally. I don't normally. So my, my philosophy with herbs um, and essential oils is that I don't usually lead with it. Um, my protocol is seeing a client uh, every 15 days. And um, my goal is to not see them after three times. And so you give them enough knowledge and enough empowerment that they have what they need to go home and kind of regulate their own schedule. Send them home with worksheets, daily charts, um, with like a whole hour by hour schedule of what your body needs for yourself so that you truly don't need me at the end of it. Hello there, Vitamizers. I hope you're enjoying the show. Wanted to drop in really quickly and share what our July sales special is. For this month only, when you're listening to the podcast in July 2020, you can get 20% off any subscription for the life of the subscription when you choose an item to subscribe to on the MSW Nutrition website. That means if you go to our website and choose whatever products you would like to get on a recurring basis without having to come to the store and reorder it, month to month. We just auto ship it to you every single month or whatever it is that works best for you. You choose your timeline. You get 20% off each of those purchases for the lifetime that you keep that subscription active when you start it this month. So if you've been eyeing one of those products or you've been using one for a while and you want to get a great discount on it for the life of your subscription, go ahead and go to MSW Nutrition's store right now. That link is in our podcast description and subscribe to whatever product you would like and we'll honor this discount code for the life that you keep that subscription active thank you so much for listening to the how do you health podcast and here we are back to the show um and usually when you see people um sleeping at the right time and i'm sure both of you can speak to how majestic that can be just for your own healing but eating at the right times, eating the right things um spending time in nature, grounding activities, doing your yoga at certain times. When you when you find the rhythm and the clock for your own body, I have noticed in my practice and the way that I've been trained that by the time we reach that 15-day mark for that first follow-up, it seems like there has been a drastic improvement that at some point we don't need to even incorporate herbs. And the reason why I don't lead with that is because we have a very instant gratification around healing in the Western society. And so Sometimes people come looking for quick fixes and I'm a bit of a pusher in that I know you can do it without it. So let's just try. And it's some, in very rare cases, especially when it's been chronic illnesses is when we've had to put them on some sort of herbs just to help the digestive tract. If there's been severe constipation taken from certain medications, or if there has been um, a lot of water retention, if there has been severe anxiety, then we bring more of the herbs in. But usually in the 15 day mark, and then again, on that last follow-up, they come back and they're like, 
I'm fine. I am coping fine. I'm eating fine. It seems like most of my problems are gone. Um, so I was like, okay, well, then you can decide how, how you want to do this. And they're like, well, I think I'll come back when I need to and I'll, I'll see you when you need to, you know? And that is so powerful because it, it, I mean, we always provide that knowledge about incorporating certain herbs and spices into food just to help with digestion. But the reason why I don't lead with it is because it really, our mind can, and can play tricks with how much we feel we need them. And um, not so much that they're just aiding in our healing, but sometimes we can give all the credit to them when they're really only help here to help us guide us back to health. And that's how Ayurveda works too, is that we don't continue a supplement or an herb for a lifetime. It's never that once you're on this, oh, just take it because it's preventative. Like there's no concept like that. It's more just that if you need it in dire circumstances, the earth is there for you. This plant is there for you when you're done needing it pay your respects and move on and you continue to keep your health with your own routine. So that's kind of my philosophy and the way that I've been taught. How is your approach to hormone replacement or balance therapy? What does that look like? So, um, I am, I, I'm not in a, I can't, I don't take a very firm stance in whether I agree with it or I disagree with it. I think it's more that people find, their way to it in certain circumstances, whether they were advised to do it or whether it was a dire circumstance. What I've noticed in my practice, though, is that when people come to me after the treatment, there seems to be a lot of unbalance within the body, um, more so than before the treatment. So it just helps me to see whether some bodies respond very well to it and some tend to have a very adverse effect to any sort of therapy like that. So I usually just try to assist with, again, helping regulating their lifestyle. And if you are choosing to go uh, on that and you're seeing benefits from it, all you really need to do is assist your body more with the types of things that you're eating and the nutrients you're putting in your body so that they're able to absorb and help you heal and come back a little faster. Gotcha. So do you ever feel like there's an instance where you're you're having to give herbs or recommendations to address like hormone needs like is there like yeah. interventions like that there are interventions like that so it's yeah. very similar so i tend to see a lot of women with either hypo or hypothyroid issues and yeah. um in those cases again i tend to lead more to with yoga asana because sometimes when you bring more movement into that area is when we're able to address that situation um, and in my practice and just the experience that I've had, uh, a lot of the thyroid issues that women present tend to do a lot of with their throat chakra and the inability to communicate. Um, and sometimes when we're able to address that, we've seen a lot of phenomenal um, healing as well. So it's a very overarching philosophy that really depends on the person that walks through the door. And sometimes you see it because she's not being able to say what she needs to say. Sometimes it's because a lot of what she wanted to say is being suppressed. Sometimes it's because the diet has been very poor. Sometimes the environment has been very poor. Sometimes it's very trauma related. So when we start to move, I've noticed, and that's always my first course of action when I see things like that, um, any hormonal issues, when we start to move, um, and especially if we see any reproductive issues, same, similar, is that when we do more hip opening, we do more chest opening, a lot of it starts to move on its own. And we teach a lot of these women the, the marma points that have to do with the reproductive system, with the, with the thyroid, we teach them mudras, we teach them breath work. And when that starts moving things around, you kind of get a better sense of, okay, does she need herbs or do we need to keep helping her move? And then some, most of the time we see that women are able to heal on their own by 
incorporating movement as medicine and by getting their diet back on track. Um, and in very rare cases, we do have to help with um, women and adding more supplements or more herbs, especially if there's a severe iron deficiency. But other than that, just allowing them to take space, uh, whether it's with their communication with their body has tended to be more healing and reproductive and thyroid issues in my practice. That's yeah. so interesting. I know like I personally have dealt with hormone issues mm -hmm. and um, it's cool because like I worked with a hormone specialist who like trends towards naturopaths, um, you know, philosophies and they, they started with diet, but also like right away, I'm like a weightlifter. And at the time I was doing like closer to CrossFit workouts. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like at the time they were like, okay, you're already one of those people who is prone to overthinking and overworking. So you're also doing that in your workout, like you need to stop. <laughs> um, you know, they kind of basically told me I wasn't allowed to lift weights for a while. And like, yeah. I had to only walk and things like that. And what's interesting about your point with the mudras and the different acupressure points and things like mm -hmm. that is the thing that finally kind of what I would say, like knocked the dominoes over was when I started going to acupuncture. Yeah. I had done like diet stuff, I think for about six months and mm -hmm. I didn't have my cycle for a few years. So like I did the diet, I did like the increased sleep and like all of the, just the walking for workouts and stuff. And then I got one cycle back and I was like, oh my gosh, how do I make sure it stays? And so the doctor was like, okay, go to acupuncture. And that was like the thing Mm -hmm. that like toppled it all, all over. So I feel like now almost I, I would like, if that hadn't happened to me, I would have been like, Oh, I, I never would have thought that like the pressure points and the movement was more important. Like it's yeah. gotta be diet, but it's interesting to me that you almost start with that for people. But that was my personal experience. Like yeah. the acupuncture seemed to be the thing. Cause I kept everything else the same, but like the acupuncture yeah. was the final point where it's like, I got regulated. Like it was, yeah. I'm, I'm Gucci now. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah. you know? um, so that's really cool. And yeah. I wanted to just call attention to, to the fact that you basically said like, most people are able to make incredibly significant difference in their lives in 30 days. Yeah. That's what three visits is for you. And so it's like, you know, people often think like, yeah, it is a long journey and, you know, it's a lifetime thing to be right. checking in with your body. But I think people sometimes get overwhelmed thinking that they need to like commit all of this time to changing stuff. When in reality, the body is very fast at healing yourself if you yeah. let it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really cool that you share this little um, tidbit of your story where you, you're expressing that you're, you're a quick thinker. You're very quick to um, reach conclusions and then your workouts are resembling the same thing. So it's kind of similar to how we talked about Fitta. Fitta is fire and the qualities of fire are sharp, right? They're very sharp. They're very mobile, um, very quick. And it seems that like your thoughts are representing the same thing that your workouts were representing. So you had an increase of Fitta in your body. You were drying yourself out because you're burning from the inside, which explains that you're not having your cycles anymore, right? So now you add fluidity to your body because you slowed down. You let your body move slowly and not quick and fast and your thoughts also start representing your movement and your cycle returns so you're able to see just in your lifetime like what what's happening with myself and what do i need to do to calm it down so i have fire i need to bring air and water and earth into it in order to come back down to the ground right and you were able mm -hmm. to help your reproductive system by doing so so that's just to call a little bit of awareness that it's so important to realize that the way you think and the way you act has so much to do with what's coming up in your body yeah, I like that I, a lot. And I agree completely. Like, uh, yeah, that's how John is too. <laughs> well, 
I mean, we talk about all the time. There's, there's a, literally an inflammatory response from negative thoughts. Yep. And, and and there's something called cytokines that are produced because of inflammation in your body. And inflammation can be a good thing. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but you don't want too much of it, obviously, right? But mm-hmm. your negative thoughts can literally increase cytokine production, which is cause, which causes inflammation in your body. And what I think about, and I've had this conversation several times today. Um, one of the things we like to ask people is, how are they doing when they walk in, right? Yeah. And you talk about checking in with yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. It's weird because sometimes people never, ever get asked how they're doing today. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a simple phrase that you maybe just say to someone at the grocery store, at the bank, you know, like, hey, how's it going, you know? But you don't give a crap. Like, you really yeah. don't care. You're just like, hey, it's good to see you, whatever, right? But when you ask someone, like, how are you? And you, they get the sense like, yeah, you really care. Like you want to know, it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. tell me how you're doing. Yeah. Well, tell you the truth. I'm great. That's what someone asked me today. Like, how are you? So I'm great. Like I'm having a great week. Like sun's beautiful outside. You know, my garden's looking great. My kids and I just went to uh, the beach for the first time, you know, last weekend. Uh, you know, I, I feel good. And it's weird because in a time like now, there's so much negative things going on. Someone told me today they feel guilty for feeling good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, because if no one's going to tell you to feel good, then then what do you, I mean, you're never going to be able to ever be healthier because no one's going to tell you this is how you get healthy. This is how you feel better. This is how you take care of yourself. And so people go out of their ways to make themselves healthier and, and sleep better and poop better you know and, mm-hmm. and when you ask something as simple as hi how are you how are you how's it going today how are you doing the people get a chance to reflect on them and say you know what i'm not doing good yeah and if they're honest with each other which you hope they are this is the time for them to say like i'm not doing okay i'm not doing right i don't feel good i'm bloated i'm crying all the time i'm not sleeping you know i'm not i don't have any energy Mm-hmm. and what's funny is people will think they're broken if if they if they make those statements yeah i tell you right now they're not broken and you believe this too oh, like there's, yeah. they're, they're never broken if someone's depressed they're not broken no right they just yeah. they need some help they need some guidance they need to be put in the right might mindset maybe mm-hmm. the right energy yeah and it's incredible because I'll tell people, you'll never lose weight. You'll never feel better until you fix your mental wellness. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I think uh, the way Ayurveda says it is that all disease is created in the mind. And so our perception of our experiences is usually what manifests itself as illness. Um, and that's why some people in certain circumstances are going to come out completely fine and some will come out with a chronic illness. And I think the what I have identified in my practice and something that I make very apparent to my clients is that there are two layers going on in in your barrier to health. And one of them, one of them is the the fact that you're not feeling well. It's whether we call it depression or whether we call it anxiety or whether we call it any sort of mental disorder. The fact is you have some sort of imbalance which is causing you to feel the way that you're feeling. Now, the second layer that we add onto it is our judgment regarding how we're feeling and why we're feeling it. 
that second layer prevents us from going deeper into the issue and addressing it in the first place. We are so caught up in the fact that, oh, I'm anxious, but so-and-so isn't anxious. She's so confident when she's doing this, but I'm shaking when I'm doing this. I had to take Adamant for this situation. Oh man, that means I'm not good enough. If I'm depressed, that means I can't hold a job. This external identification we make with our issue, cause it really limits us from going in and even addressing it because we're so busy judging ourselves for the way that we're feeling. And when we can understand that this is a part of human condition, this is a really big Buddhist philosophy, is that human is suffering is a part of human life. Mm -hmm. It is what we're going to do if we are alive and we're in the physical form. It, we, can't, we can't run away from it. It's inevitable. Suffering is a part of human life. Now, whether you make an identification with that suffering is what makes it worse. Whether you're able to be an observer and see from the outside is when you can get to the root cause, right? When we move that second layer out of it, when we move this judgment off of it and that happens with our communication with our clients when we ask how they're doing when we wonder what's going on with them when we take off that judgment that you're not less than because you're feeling the way that you're feeling you are not inadequate because you're feeling the way that you're feeling is when we can truly get into the meat of the problem and when we're there i truly feel like half the problem is gone because now we're isolating it from our identification of ourselves i am not anxiety i am experiencing anxiety i am not depressed i have depression in my body and that makes it so much easier for the client to not just see that they're so much bigger than the problem that they're identifying with but then also so empowering because now that you know you can do something about it now that we're not judging ourselves for it we can actually move towards it because our biggest hurdle is that judgment the biggest hurdle is our identification with our problem and when that's removed immediately the path is clear to healing because now our mind is out of it. We're not self-sabotaging our way to health. We understand it's a part of human life. It's a part of human suffering. We identify that suffering is going to be a part of life. Now, what do I do with it? And our job as practitioners is to help them understand that there is no judgment. There is no hierarchy of disease. There is no less than because you feel a certain way. And when that's out of the way, when you're done empowering them, they're good to go on their own, really. I literally just posted a video this week telling people to stop identifying with their disease because yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like started sharing about my personal experience with acupuncture in relation to PCOS and things like that yeah. and I realized like so many people like I've been working to heal it for like about two years now and mm -hmm. I'm two years in and I was like oh what I was doing two summers ago is completely different than what I do now because I yeah. don't need that anymore. Like right. my body is past that. And so right. I was like, you know, I'm chronicling this to let people know like, Hey, acupuncture is a really good way to like manage this condition, yeah. but also like, don't feel like you have to keep going to acupuncture every week. Like right. it's, you know, it's at some point it turns into a crutch. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate that you said that. Cause yeah, yeah I see too many people like, placing their identity in a diagnosis or in a condition and then it just shoots them in the foot because you know say they think they need to be take taking ashwagandha every single right. day they run out and they can't find any and then they freak out and stress themselves out and that causes way more inflammation than just right. simply not having the ashwagandha <laughs> so, yeah. It, it yeah. can be very anxiety provoking when you're so um dependent on external validation whether it's from herbs or if it's from medication or even if it's from another person and you have codependency when we're not getting that, sometimes we put so much of our power into things outside of us that it can, it can literally cause more problems inside of us when the, the physical eye can't see it anymore. And I think it's really important to understand that when we, when we have a, a, a label or a disease of some sort, 
when we identify with it, and I'm really big about qualities of things, which I keep mentioning, it's like we start to inhibit the qualities of the condition that we have been diagnosed with. So if, if someone has diabetes or someone has an anxiety disorder, you'll often hear things like, oh, I'm way too nervous to do that. Well, I can't do that. That's not something. Well, I have anxiety. We build these barriers, these you know, imaginary barriers around our mind, which is a very limitless, powerful tool. Um, and so when we stop identifying with that, these imaginary barriers go away. And then we're kind of like, okay, now what can I do? And you start crossing those barriers. Like for instance, if you have PCOS and now you're doing things that you weren't able to do before, you're like, okay, well, what else can I do, right? Then your mind starts to think that this is, you're more powerful than you originally thought you were. And that's, you're more powerful because you thought you weren't, right? The thought is right. what was keeping you from, from moving into that space of healing. So it's really important that, you know, it's awesome that you're putting that message out there. But as practitioners, I really do feel like it's your duty or your, your sacred dharma, right? That your, your life's purpose to make sure that your goal is to empower everyone, or empower everyone that you meet because healing is, we can't trademark healing. I'm not selling healing. I'm selling my time. I'm not, my knowledge is not for sale. It's open to you when you come to me as much as I know is as, as it's all for you, but really it's just a time that we charge for. And so as long as we understand that healing is not something we own, it is a human right. All we do as practitioners is guide our way there. And that's how we fulfill our life's purpose. So thank you for sharing that message. But I love, I felt like what you just said is like a great way to close out this episode. Honestly. <laughs> That was That's beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, where can people find you and, and work with you? Yeah. So I have a website, which is my name, RabiaMagani.com. And I also have an Instagram, which is also my name, RabiaMagani. I try to keep it pretty simple. <laughs> Facebook page, also the same name. Um, and kind of just use all three platforms to go back and forth on how to demystify Eastern healing, how to make it more adaptable for the Western culture, and how to make it more accessible for our current climate and youth. So you'll be able to find a lot of that on my website and my Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I know you had asked to possibly come into Austin to get an IV while we did this podcast. I'll tell you what, if you want to do a follow-up podcast with us in the future, the offer still stands. If you want to come to Austin, you're more than welcome to come get an IV with us. So, yes. I'm sure we need a follow-up uh, part two anyway, right? You know, yeah. So. This, is, this is too much fun. I feel like we might need another one. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, cool. Well, I'm glad, uh, glad you joined us today, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day as well. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys.